0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a
1: blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, welcome. So glad that you are here. And whether you're joining us online or maybe by way of television or if you're right here in the room, So glad that you are here with us. And uh, if you have your Bible, as uh, Pastor Chris said, turn to 1 John chapter 4 with me if you would, please. At the end of the message today, we are gonna take time to share in communion together. Um, So if uh, you're watching on a screen somewhere and wanna join us, I hope you'll uh, just take a moment and step away and uh, grab some communion elements, something that might represent the bread and represent the cup so that you can join us here in just a few moments as we come to the Lord's table together. Together. I grew up in a really kind of unique situation where um, our house was right next door to the house that my dad's sister and her husband lived in, which means I grew up right next door to my cousin. We were only a year apart. And in many ways, during especially our, our younger years, we almost grew up, you know, more more like brothers because we spent so much time together. And what happens in those settings when you spend so much time with someone like that is you know all the buttons to push for the other person, don't you? And I don't know how many times I came home telling my mom, you know, what a terrible sinner he was, right? <laughs> Making sure she knew and she would say to me, hey, you need to love him. And I wanted to say to her, that's, that's easier said than done, lady, Right? Because sometimes it's just hard to love. We're in the book of 1 John. The theme of 1 John is clearly love. That's why we've called this series The Power of Love. There's so much there. And if you remember last week or two weeks ago when we were in chapter three, John tells us repeatedly, hey, you need to love one another. He points it out over and over again to us. And you get to a certain point where you want to say to him, hey, that's easier said than done, buddy. Do you know the people I have to love in my life? This next chapter, chapter four, he is going to say the word love over and over and over again. 27 times in this chapter, he uses the word love. You think he's trying to make a point? (laughs) Like it's a theme here that we're gonna hear and I wanna jump right into it. And as I was just kind of, going through this chapter and he says so many different things there's going to be verses you're going to see that you're going to go oh I've heard that before or some scriptural one-liners that we use that are here in this kind of classic passage of scripture this chapter I was like what is he really trying to say to us like what's he trying to show us here as we look at this as we take all of this in and really I just came down to he's going to show us three things about us about you, about me, about our world, about the way that we love one another. When we look at this chapter, there's three things that John shows us about us, about you, about you and me, about the way that we love those around us. And so let's jump right in and we're, we're gonna kind of work our way through most of 1 John chapter four. Look at these three things. Here's the first thing that he says. Number one, he tells us that we are loved. And we've seen this theme before in this chapter or in this book But it's key for us to see and to get this because he's gonna stress this here again that we are loved. Let's let's look at a stretch here. 1 John chapter four beginning with verse seven. He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins there's a lot packed in those verses and i think it'd be good for us to maybe break it down a little bit and see what he's saying to us because he wants us to know he wants us to see That you're loved, that I'm loved, that that we are loved by Him. And so, if that's the case, what's He trying to say here? Well, let's start just with the basics God is love. Now, we might say that we know that, but that's really critically important. And and look, think of this of all the words that John could have used to sum up who God is, if he could have just pieced it all together, he says, God is love. He didn't say power, he, he didn't say might. He didn't say glorious, he didn't say wrathful, he didn't say judgment, he says God is love. And if anybody knew, John did, because if you go back and look at the gospels, you realize that no one knew the earthly person Jesus better than the apostle John, like he knew God. So when he picks that word to say God is love, what's he telling us? One part, he's, he's telling us that this is God's very character. Like it's at his very heart to be loved, and he's motivated by that love. Like you might want to think of it maybe from the perspective of some something or someone that maybe you were um, responsible for, and the where the way you cared for that. I'll I'll put it in the context of being a parent, especially when our kids were little. There were a lot of things that I did in the life of my kids that were motivated by my love for them. Like there were times when we would get down on the floor and play. There's times when they would just want to kind of maybe crawl up in your lap and snuggle. And in those moments, you're motivated by love. There were, there were times when we fed them. Well, we fed them regularly, right? <laughs> and, we, and we clothed them even though they grew out of them so fast. And even when you're going back to the store to buy a new pair of pants because you just bought a new pair of pants two weeks ago. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Why do you do that? Because you love them. And then there were times when we disciplined them. Why'd we do that? Because we enjoyed it. No, that's not why. Why'd we do it? Because we loved them. Because we knew it was the right thing to do in those moments. Everything we did, even though it looked different in different seasons, was motivated by the fact that we loved them. Now remember this about God. It's not just that he does love but that he is love. It's not just what motivates him, it's his character, it's who he is. So can I tell you something? When I was motivated to do for my kids because I loved them, I didn't always get it right. Like there were times when I messed it up, there were times when I failed. I can remember on so many occasions, looking at Rhonda, we'd put the kids to bed, and I remember looking at Rhonda and going, Rhonda, am I ruining them? Like, am I breaking these kids? Because I'm trying. But sometimes it's hard in those moments. But God doesn't struggle like that. There's not moments where he messes up in that process when he's loving you, his child, because he doesn't just do love. Get this. He is Love, that's who he is in every moment, and so you know if you're interacting with him, then the interaction you're getting is love. Now why is that important? Not only is God love, God is love, we know that, but God loves us. Like not just us corporately, he loves you individually. You are his workmanship scripture says. How do we know that he loves us? John 3, 16 says it so clearly, that God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't just talk about it. <laughs> he sent his son. When we see that first John chapter 4 verse 10, we already saw that he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. And that's why we're going to end this service today with the time of communion. Cuz it gives us the opportunity to pause and remember God's great love for us. What he did for us and how he loves us. The sacrifice And look, before we go any further into this message, there's a good chance that there's someone in this room or you're hearing this message somehow. And one of the things you really need to hear is not only are you loved, but you're so loved that God did what only he could do so that you could receive forgiveness and salvation and grace and mercy and a fresh start and hope and peace. Those things are available that if we'll recognize our sins, if we'll recognize our need for him, if we'll put that in his hands, then we can experience that love by saying, Jesus, I give you my life, I put my trust in you. And you know, this is interesting because especially when we use this word love, like so much of our lives, so much of our world revolves around the value that that someone else places into things or the value that we place into things. We place value on something, and it might be a certain place, a restaurant, a location, and we say we love it and that gives it value. We say that about a person. We say that about, you know, you, you can love and like a social media post. There's, there's an idea or a concept that you can love. But God's love is different. It, it has nothing to do with what someone else says or how someone else approves it. It doesn't matter whether it's liked online or it doesn't matter if someone else validates it. And I think this is important because one of the things that John says, he says, this is love, not that we love God, He doesn't say it started with us, that the reason that God is great is because you loved him or I loved him. Look, God's greatness has nothing to do with our response. God's value is not found in our love. Our value is found in his. And that's a game changer if you'll get that because it's exhausting to try to always put value on something, to try to constantly validate yourself or prove yourself or live up to expectations or to win the approval of others. And John says, look, you you didn't do this. You didn't make this special. This wasn't your hard work. You're loved because God is love. And your value is found in his love for you, not because somehow you gave it that worth or that value. Look, I, I know that's difficult for some of us because wrestling with that, either because of what we've experienced in the past or what's happened to us, or the things that we've done. Some of you would say, how could God love me? Or I can't believe that God loves me. Or I bought into that at one point, and then I got hurt by a person, or I got hurt in a church, or I had this experience or that experience. And then we just say, so I, I can't rest in God's love. I can't believe in God's love. And look, there's a lot of places where what's called love will fail us. In those places, we've gotta realize it's not the value that anybody else puts on us or that situation. It's, it's what God has done. Let me show you just kind of rapid fire a couple of places where John talks about this to us. 1 John chapter 3, verse one, look at what he says. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. I love the exclamation points on that one. He's like, hey, let me make a point. You're a child of God. Because God kind of reluctantly, hesitantly, and and skimpingly poured love out on you. Is that what it says? My favorite word in this passage is lavished. He lavished that love on us. He gave it without care for the cost. And notice what he calls you, you are his children. Look, if you're wrestling with this idea that God loves you, understand his love gives us a family. It gives us a place to belong. It gives us a place we can call home. And if you're looking for that, understand you are loved. What happens though when we we wrestle and forget that we're loved or forget God's work in our lives, we start to question so many other things. If we don't feel loved, then we start to question our own competence. We start to question our own ability. We start to question our own value. We question our worth. Let me show you what John tells us. First John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about opposition that you might find in the world and in those that don't believe and in other places. He says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's a good word, isn't it? Hallelujah. I don't know that anybody else is excited, but that helped me when I read it, that the one who's in me is greater than the one in the world. Get this, his love gives us confidence. Like if you're facing difficult situations, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When you always feel like you're fighting, when you always feel like you're not gonna make it, it's hard to be loved, it's hard to be content. I can tell you one of the things that that I've watched take its toll on people over the course of the last year is just kind of a constant stream of pessimism. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's always not only bad news, but the new bad news. And I I don't know, I just kinda wanna shift my perspective a little bit Because the world might be going crazy around me, but I need to look to the one who's in me because his love for me gives me confidence. He is greater, greater, greater than what you're going through. He is greater, greater, greater than what's happening in the world. He that lives in you is greater than what's going on around you, which causes me to say, I don't want to live focusing just on what's falling apart around me when I am loved by the one who is greater within me. Does that make sense? There's a confidence that comes in that kind of love. One of, the, one of the things that I do that's a part of, and it doesn't matter how many times I've done it, it's a part of my role as a pastor, is oftentimes one of the, one of the places where my confidence gets shaken the most is when I, I have the privilege, honestly it's a privilege, to officiate a funeral. And I don't know why, there, nobody wants to be there, right? <laughs> and, and really, no, nobody wants to, hear from you, Mr. In the Suit. And so it's it's an interesting moment. I remember going to one years ago and I got up to speak and everything inside of me, uh, I, I didn't really know the person, like it was distant. So it wasn't like emotionally wrecked, does that make sense? But I looked out and I saw the people who just did not care. They didn't care about me. A lot of them didn't care about that situation. They didn't want to be there. And I stood there, and I looked around. (laughs) And the more I looked around, the more I lost confidence. Like, the more I thought, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? What, what? You know, and you just start asking all these questions. And then in the back of the room, I locked eyes with this beautiful lady. She looked at me. And I looked at her and I immediately knew she's into me. And I was so glad I was married to her. (laughs) And Rhonda was in the back of the room and we locked eyes. And there was this moment that I realized, even if everybody else in this room hates me, she loves me. She has to, she loves me. And in that moment, there was a confidence that like came back to me because I knew there was somebody that loved me. Look when you're lacking confidence you might need to come back to 1 John 4:4. 4, 4. It says greater is he that is in me the one that loves you than everything else that's fallen apart in the world around you. And watch what this love does for us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. He says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. He's talking there about judgment in particular. And he says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love this line, that perfect love drives out fear. Look, if you're in a place where there's there's fear in your life, take that to God and allow his love to be at work in your life in those places and rest, rest, rest in his love. I don't know if they have it, but I should go to BSDA. Do you know what that is? Backseat Drivers Anonymous. (laughs) I am a backseat driver. Like when I'm not behind the wheel, I have a hard time and I wanna drive. I wanna be sitting there. I wanna be the one who's got the hands on the steering wheel. And uh, I just, if I'm not driving, anybody else like this? Or am I making a, are you thinking less of me? Anybody else like this? Okay, there's, there's a few of us. I, I, they say it's a sign of intelligence. Anybody else like this? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, they don't say that, by the way. I made that up. I was just trying to feel better about myself. And so if I'm not driving, I have a hard time. I can't rest. I know some people that as soon as they sit down in the car, if they're not driving, even if they are, they like fall asleep. It's not me. But there's a few people, family members, a couple of friends that I've done road trips with, that as soon as they sit behind the steering wheel, I get sleepy. (laughs) I was like, why is that? And I realized, it's because I trust them. Like, I don't worry if they're driving, because if they're driving, I've got a confidence in them, and as a result, it gives me rest, and it gives me peace. Look, to know that you are loved by God, his love gives us peace. (laughs) His love at work in our lives will stir that peace up. And if you are in a season where maybe there's fear that's coming in, would you let his love come in? Because perfect love drives out fear. Remember that you are loved. Maybe even let him sit in the driver's seat and let that bring some peace into your life. Look, I know it might not be all of us, but I'm confident that there's some of us that as soon as I said, hey, number one is we are loved, that there was a voice in the back of your head that said, except you. (laughs) Everybody else in this room, everybody else that's watching, everybody else that that this dude's talking to, they're loved. I don't know about me. I don't know about you. That maybe came to your mind. And can I tell you, that these passages from 1 John, especially some of these verses that we're reading here, are ones you need to come back to. You might wanna read this chapter again. You might want to, after this message, take some time and maybe memorize one of these verses and let it speak to your heart. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Perfect love drives out fear. Let God's word remind you that you are loved. The the next thing he tells us then is kind of a, a twist on that. Same theme but a little bit different. First, he tells us that we are loved. The second thing, to see this, we gotta go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Here's what he says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, which we just found out about, right? We're loved, right? So since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, John, you're starting to sound like my mom again. <laughs> right, is he just nagging here? Here's the second thing that he says. Number two, not only are we loved, but we are lovers. We are to be lovers. Love is what should mark us. God has designed us to love one another. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, John tells us to do it enough that maybe we should dig in and see what he's trying to say. Let me show you verses, kind of rapid fire here, where in this chapter in particular, he encourages us that we are to love other people. 1 John 4.19 is a a key passage. And we've kind of... We've kind of co-opted this verse for our own as a church because, of course, this verse is 1 John 419. Amen, yeah. We love the 419. Why? We love because he first loved us. Look, I know it's not always easy to love other people, but we can love because we are loved. This is what John says to us. We love because he first loved us, not because we just magically are loving people, not just because we're, we're naturally filled with love, but because he first loved us, that's why we love other people. If you need a motivation, it's because you are loved. And look, I know it's not, it's not always easy. Like it'd be interesting to kind of go around the room or don't do this, but you can even put in the comments online like who you got, like who, who's hard to love in your world? Somebody probably came to mind, co-worker, family member, friend, uh, person sitting next to you. I mean, there's somebody, right? And you're just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's not always easy, especially when it's another brother or sister in Christ. As John talks about this, you might not always be feeling that love. So how do we do it? He says, well, it starts with understanding that the reason you can love is because you are loved. And then he, he also says this, 1 John 4, 16. He says, and so we know I like this word, and rely on the love, of, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So if I'm going to love other people, then I've got to realize that to do that, <laughs> I've got to live in that love that comes from God and God who lives in me, which means I'm going to have to rely on him for that kind of love. At some point, if I'm gonna love, it means I have to live in God. John uses this phrase multiple times, this idea that we have to live in him. And if I'm having a hard time loving other people, then maybe I've gotta ask, how am I living my life? How we live affects how we love. And if I wanna love other people, then I need to live in God. I'll be honest, there's been seasons in my life when I've wanted to be loving, but I haven't been that connected to God. And as a result, it's hard for me to love other people when I'm not living in that way. Does that make sense? You know, as a church, if you were with us last week, um, the invitation that we gave last week was to join us in four weeks of fasting and prayer. And to say, hey, we're gonna pray together. We're, we're gonna pray together for our church. We're gonna pray together for our own lives, for our world, for the lost. And uh, if you're on our email list or if you watch on social media, we're, we're, we're putting out some things kind of on a daily basis of how we can pray um, during this season of time. And this next week, I wanna challenge you in particular to pray for the church. And one of the things that I encourage you to pray is that you would pray that God would help Calvary to be a place that is marked by love and how we live in God. Look at what John says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, he says, And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. It's, it's living his way. I and mean, he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. So God has promised to give us his spirit. He has promised to allow his spirit to work in our lives to help us to love others. God in us fuels our love. Like this is important because you might get to a situation in your life where you feel like any kind of love in your heart is frozen or you feel like that situation is stuck and you're not so sure how this thing's gonna move. And you might need to say, Holy Spirit, Will you help me to love in this situation? To live in God, and as a result, let his love move through you. Sometimes it's a conscious effort that I've just gotta say, have you ever woke up one morning and you just knew, I'm gonna have to do things I don't wanna do. Anybody else? Interact with people, have conversations, go places, whatever. And it's wise to just go, Jesus, Jesus, I, I don't have it in me, so I need your love to move through me. Holy Spirit, will you help me with this? A couple weeks back when, when we got that first kind of real heavy kind of batch of snow and it was really cold, one day um, we went to leave, pushed the button on our garage door opener, and it just went and nothing moved. Tried it again, nothing moved. I was like, well, we gotta do something different. So I went out, looked around and did some different things and I realized, oh, it's, it's like frozen to the ground. Anybody ever had that happen? And so I went out there and I started, you know, trying to figure out where it was at. And I kind of was able to find the spot. And I kind of tried to start to like kind of dig at it and do some different things. And, and I, you know, I popped it from the garage door opener so we could move it. You might not be able to see this with this jacket on, but I have superhuman strength, you know. And so I'm like, you know, trying to, and it, this thing's not budging. And I finally realized I don't have it in me. So I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not. So I, I'll probably get scolded and I didn't YouTube it or anything. But I just went, I got a little heat gun, you know. And I went and got the heat gun and I just, you know kind of tried to do it on the inside and, and uh, tried to melt the thing and it didn't work. So I decided well, I'll try the other side. So I went outside and I just laid down on the, on the floor in front of, on the ground, you know, in front. I thought if some neighbor walks by, they're gonna, you know, call 911 or something. But I just took that thing and I started moving. Guess what, I could watch it starting to melt. And as soon as it started to melt and then I went over with my superhuman strength and we'll pick that thing right up. Because what was frozen there needed something to bring a breakthrough And it was something I did not have inside of me. And I needed to reach to an outside power source to be able to do that. And I just thought, man, that happens in my life (laughs) where I feel that situations are frozen or they're stuck or I don't have the strength inside of me. And I need some kind of outside source to help me move past this thing. It's God's love inside of us that can do that. Now, I, I know that for some of you, that can be a hard thing because to love also means that you may put yourself at risk of being hurt and of losing something and of suffering in some way. You're probably familiar with the writings of C.S. Lewis and, uh, one of probably his most famous quotes, I know I've used it before, you've probably heard it before, but it's so powerful on the subject of love. It comes from his book called The Four Loves. This is what he said. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it'll change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. That's a powerful picture of what happens when we push love away. And then I read the next few lines from Lewis that I'd never read before. Here's here's how the, the quote finishes. He says, the alternative to tragedy, meaning when you suffer when you love someone, or at least to the risk of tragedy is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And that's a powerful thought. Something happens when we love. And and so you gotta ask the question, so how do I know if I'm loving or not? Like Chad, you're saying I'm I'm to love others, I'm to be a lover, that's how God created me, John, says how do I know if I'm doing it the right way? Have you ever wondered that question? Like I wanna love someone, sometimes people who are difficult to love and you kinda ask yourself, am I doing this the right way? First John 4, 17, here's what he says. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, meaning that we we did what we were supposed to do before God. In this world, we are like Jesus. Like if you wanna know what it looks like to love, loving looks like Jesus you have to ask yourself the question is this what Jesus would do in this situation is this how Jesus would handle this do you remember the 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 bracelets and the saying we used to have it's kind of uh, maybe a little cliche but do you remember WWJD do you remember that WWJD I can't even say it I'm so excited about it (laughs) what would Jesus do and that was kind of that kind of a trend a fad it's a good question still and when you got to love somebody to ask the question, what would Jesus do? <laughs> you know what might be the better question? Are you doing it? <laughs> like, not just do you know what he would do, but are you doing it? Because that's what love looks like. So let me, um, this, uh, what I wrote in my notes when I was putting this together, I just wrote in my notes, this is where you meddle. Can I meddle for a couple of minutes? <laughs> like, love changes things. Like I, I see it in people's lives and relationships all the time, that when there's difficulty or a frustration, one of the first things we do is we just kinda choose to, to not love. When love is what actually will push that thing forward, love changes things. Now I don't, I don't wanna oversimplify things. I know there's difficult circumstances. but So many times I just wonder, what, what if we chose love first? I'm seeing it in relationships that people have with other people because we kind of have this mindset that I'll love them when they earn it. I'll love them when they're worth it. I'll love them when they prove that they're lovable. And what if I was willing to begin to let people sense God's love in me even before I knew whether they were lovable or not? Does that make sense? And look, I'm watching it at least 10 times in the last two weeks. I've had conversations where marriages are struggling. And look, I don't want to diminish that because it has been a tough season. Within our marriages, the last year has messed up our rhythms and our routines quite a bit. Some of of us have spent far too much time together. (laughs) Some of us have spent too much time apart. And husband and wife, can I just challenge you Sometimes the easiest person for us to stop deliberately showing love to is our spouse. And I wanna encourage you to love one another, not because it's an emotion, but because it really is that powerful. And oftentimes we struggle with loving one another because our love was based on a picture that we had at at an altar when we got married and then life changes. And in the changes of that life, sometimes we go, well, I didn't sign up for this or I I didn't think this would happen or I didn't, we have all those different things. And look, love is not based on an emotion. It's not based on some kind of contractual agreement. We love each other through those changes. And we believe that Jesus loves that other person through you. There's a powerful principle from um, the the love and respect marriage teaching that has just always stuck in my head. Someday I'm gonna stand before Jesus and answer for how I loved others. And he's not gonna ask me how you loved me. (laughs) He's gonna ask me how I loved you. I'm, I'm responsible for the love that I give, it's the same thing's true in our families. The same thing's true in conflict situations within and without our family relationships. And look, I'm not talking about situations where there's abuse. I'm not talking about dangerous situations. There are times when there are evil intentions and manipulative things that are happening. But can I tell you, usually the situations that we're talking about, these day-to-day situations, are these places where whether it's in a marriage relationship or a family relationship, it's with the coworker, it's with the friend. My first step is self-defense when maybe I should choose sacrificial love and say, I'm gonna start by loving. God has never not been motivated by love even when I have rebelled against him, true? <laughs> and if God is love and I'm to love like he is, what, what does that mean? Look at this, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, Love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Some of my favorite stories over the years have been people that have, that have come to Calvary and then surrendered their lives to Christ, and you ask them, what, what happened? Like, why, why did you choose to take this step of faith? And I love the stories when they say, well, I've been watching my husband, or I've been watching my wife, or I've been watching my family member, I've been watching my coworker, and something changed in them. And they stopped treating me the way they used to. And they started treating me with love. And I knew that if that jerk could, if I knew if that person could change, that if love could transform them, then that's the kind of thing that I need in my life as well. This will show everyone that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, uh, what's John showing us about ourselves? Well, real quick, we recap and then we'll start bringing it in for landing. He shows us that we are loved, he shows us, number two, that we are lovers. And then there's a third thing we find out about ourselves in this passage. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Here's what he says. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I know this isn't the cheeriest way to kind of wrap this up. He tells us we are loved, (laughs) he tells us we are lovers, and number three, he tells us we are liars. (laughs) He just kind of points it out there. Probably not all of us, but he says, if you claim to love God and then you hate a brother or sister, that makes you a liar. You say, weird way to wrap up, Chad. <laughs> Some of you are actually kind of a little offended that I would even say that. The angriest I ever saw my dad, the, the, the only time I can really remember him getting like physically so shaken at another adult that I thought he was gonna lose his mind was a time this guy that we knew, family knew, Stopped by the house. There had been a misunderstanding. Someone had told him something about my dad that wasn't true. And my dad tried to tell this guy the truth and he looked my dad in the eye and said, Bob, you're a liar. My dad lost his mind. Best thing he could have done and what he did was told that guy to get off my porch and he slammed the door. Something about when you know you're not and somebody calls you a liar, that it, do you know what I'm talking about? Like it fires something up in you. So when you heard me say that John said that you're a liar, I hope it made you a little upset. And I hope you remember I didn't say it, John did. He didn't just say it once, though. First John chapter 1, verse 6. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Like he points this out, he says, if that's you, then you are a liar. How about this one, First John chapter two, verse four, he says, whoever says I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth's not in that person. And then the third one we already read, 1 John chapter four, verse 20, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I'm not calling you a liar, but there's this biblical principle, I'll say it in English instead of in the Greek, that says, if the shoe fits, do you know what I'm talking about? Right, so I gotta look back and go, am I a liar? Like, do I say I love God, but then actually not live that way? That's a problem. It's a problem we see quite a bit, right? We, We see it on big scales. Seems like this happens far too often, but we're in another cycle where we're looking at politicians who said one thing and then lived another way. And we're looking at church leaders who said one thing and then lived another way. And those, those kind of lies just break us down. And we wonder who can we trust and how can we live? Can I tell you, don't let staggering disappointment in other people keep you from true community in your life. And just because there are people who fail and they fumble, don't let that crush what God wants to do in your life. And don't be afraid to sit back and go, what people see from me, when I say I'm a Christian, when I say that I love Jesus, does that really come out in how I treat other people? Because if I say I love God who I can't see, but then I don't love my sister or brother who I can see. John says, you are a liar and God's love really isn't in you, he says. Have you heard this term deep fake? Has anybody heard this? It's a, a term that's, that's being used quite a bit with regards to AI, artificial intelligence, different technology things, and they're, they're called deep fakes when the computer can generate an image that looks or acts like somebody else, and you, you really can't tell the difference there's a there's there's one of these ancestry online tools right now where you can search your ancestry where you can upload a picture of someone and then you're able to like animate the picture where their head moves and they nod and they smile and all this kind of stuff so like your, your great-great-grandma who you've never met, you can upload her picture and then you can watch it kind of move and turn her head and look at you. And that's deep fake technology and slightly creepy, true? Right, but it's actually kind of cool. The, the most famous one that's going around right now is there's this guy who has found a way to, through technology, take videos that he makes of himself and then he's able to animate them in such a way so that his actions, his body, his face, his voice look just like Tom Cruise. It's crazy when you watch this. I mean, you're like, that's Tom Cruise, except that's not Tom Cruise. Looks like him, acts like him, but it's a deep fake. And it's not him. And on the surface, it looks right. But when you get deep down, it's just a poor imitation. If you say you love your brother, you love God, but then you hate your brother and sister, John says you're a deep fake. You look like something that's real. In fact, you might even have some people fooled. But God says you're a liar. And I think he knows. And that's concerning enough to me to wanna take an evaluation and look at my own heart and say, God, help me not to be a liar. John stresses this enough that I just wanna encourage you that if the Holy Spirit's prodding you a little bit about this, would you be willing to drop your defensives? Don't slam your door and kick God off your porch. (laughs) And said, would you let him in and say, God, would you search my heart so that I can love like you do? Interesting book, First John. We'll wrap it up next week. But over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. He tells us to love to the point that it's almost borderline annoying. <laughs> In fact, people felt that way about John. The stories told that when he was in his old age, he lived in the city of Ephesus. He lived to be an old, old man, oldest of all the disciples. And he lived in the city of Ephesus, and there were times when the people in the church would have to bring him to church and literally have to carry him in the doors of the church. And they would bring him into church. And because he was John the Apostle, because he was at one point their pastor, because they loved him, in that culture there would be times where they would carry him in front of the church. And they would say to him, Father, would you speak to us? He had a hard time even breathing at this point, history tells us. In fact, uh, St. Jerome tells us these stories. And says that through labored breaths, John would say to them, Time after time after time after time. Like every time they would say to the great apostle, what message do you have for us? He would say, little children, love one another. Next Sunday, John, what do you have to say? He'd say, little children, love one another. Two weeks later, John, what do you have to say? He'd say, little children, love one another. And finally, they said, master, Why do you always tell us the same thing? You repeat the same exhortation over and over and over and over and over again. And history records that John would look at them and he'd say, because it's the Lord's command. It's what he told us to do. And he said this, if this be done, then all is done. That if you'll love one another, he says that pretty much covers it. Like if you'll start there, there's a whole lot of other things you won't have to worry about. There's a whole lot of other things that you won't have to fear. There's things you won't have to stress about. If you'll start here, this is the most important thing. Little children love one another. And I hope with me, you'll let John's words kind of sink deep. And this week, when you go home, when you face conflict, when you interact with, with difficult people, when you find yourself in a spot and you're not sure what to do, that your default mode will be to say, I don't wanna be a liar, I'm loved. So I'm gonna love one another. First John chapter 4, verse 10. This is what we read, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Aren't you glad he did? So I'm asking ask you to do this. Would you take the communion elements with me today? And we're gonna join in a moment of coming to the Lord's table together. Paul gives us instruction for these times. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so I'm gonna invite you, whether you're watching this on a screen or you're here in the room, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And I know that John's words have, in some of our hearts, kind of maybe dug a little bit, poked a little bit and caused us to look at some things. The Bible says that we ought to examine ourselves In particular, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And if this is a moment where you need to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I need your help. Would you take this moment and allow him to speak to your life, to speak to your heart? It may even be that in this moment, you need to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to look for answers in so many different places. And I realized that I will never find it. I'll never find forgiveness. I'll never find meaning outside of you. And so Jesus, today, I give you my life. If that's you, just before we do anything further, right in your heart, would you just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. Would you change me? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we hold the bread in our hands, before we share in it, can we stop for just a moment Because I honestly believe that some of us need a moment just to be loved. To be reminded that God loves you. That your heavenly father can drive out fear in your heart. He can give you a place to belong. Just a glimpse of his love can fill you with confidence. And that you'd let his love work in your heart even right now. Jesus, we thank you for your love that you were sacrificed for us. And we remember your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Let's share in the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this cup. It represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. that Jesus, because of your shed blood, there's forgiveness. There's redemption. There's a new start. There's grace, there's hope, there's life, there's healing, there's love. And so, Lord, we thank you for this cup. And we remember your sacrifice as we share in it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the cup together. And if you're here in the room, because I invite you to stand with me and uh, hope those of you that are watching as well will join us. And we're going to take a moment and uh, just thank the Lord for his sacrifice to remember what he did for us, how he paid a debt for us. And I hope that as we sing this song, we will remember that because we have been loved, we can love others as well. And so, Father, thanks for your love. Thanks that no matter who we are or what we've done, you love us. And so, Lord, would you help us to be lovers of one another? God, that when we stand before you, we won't be liars or deep fakes, but that because of your love in us, that will make us people who show your love to others. Thank you for your grace, your sacrifice, your love. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: I give my whole life to honor this love. By the Lamb who was slain, I'm forgiven. The sinner, Savior, crown him forever. For the Lamb who was slain, he is rich.
0: show our appreciation for God's Word tonight (laughs) praise the Lord praise the Lord listen if you if you made a decision tonight for Jesus and you're in this room first of all you made the most important decision that you'll ever make to choose Jesus and to live for him and if you did that I would invite you that on the way out you can pick up one of these cards that says I have decided And if you would, take this card, fill it out, and drop it off at our new here area. We would love to get you started on the right path. And and if you're watching online, I would encourage you to go to toledocalvary.org and scroll down and hit that button that says Jesus. And and that will take you to a page where you can find out more about Jesus and you you can express your commitment there. And we would love to get you started on the right path as well. You know, tonight, we just started a brand new small group that actually is meeting right now at this service time. It's called Starting Point. And if you made a a fresh commitment to Christ, maybe a first time commitment to Christ, or or maybe you're still searching, you're not quite sure, uh, or maybe you just need your faith refreshed. Sometimes we need that. I would encourage you hop on toledocalvary.org and you can go down the page a little bit you'll see life groups click find a group and if that will take you to a page where you can find this group called starting point it's called starting point you can click on that get connected to that group it meets every thursday night at seven o'clock right here at the church and you'll you'll get started on the right path get your questions answered it's a safe place to chat so i would encourage you to do that Well, thank you so much for being here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity you've given to us to to visibly see the love you have for us in the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us to love you more and love the people around us more like Jesus did. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless your people and that you would send us forth as your ambassadors into this world. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen.